This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. Another another great week talking smallmouth bass with some of the top smallmouth bass anglers across the country. Big names, local sticks, you name it. They've all been on the podcast, and we're learning a ton along the way. I just want to thank everybody for listening on all the podcast platforms as well as the viewers on my YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. Uh, today's guest is a big name. He knows how to catch some big smallmouth. He's won a lot of big events in smallmouth country. And so I'm really excited. Uh, Justin Lucas joins us for this week's podcast. I'm going to be excited to hear what what he has to say when it comes to his love of chasing smallmouth. But before we go there, let's talk about the real shot, of course. They have the most wanted bass tackle a smallmouth crush fan could ask for. Top brands like Mega Bass, Jackal, Evergreen, Z-Man, Daiwa, Shimano, Dirty Jigs, Kitex, Berkeley, Rapala, St. Croix Rods. I know They got it all. So much more. Head on over to their website, same day shipping. And if you use my code smallmouthcrush15, we're going to get 15% off your first order over at therealshot.com. And we're going to head straight to Justin. Justin, how are you doing? What's up? Yeah, I'm excited to uh, talk smallmouth fishing with you. I, you've had some pretty big wins in smallmouth country, some amazing places that you've fished. Real quick, before we get into that, Justin, if you could just give some of the viewers that uh, a little bit of background on yourself and how you how you got started in the sport and kind of where you're at today. Yeah, I uh, I started fishing tournaments when I was 13. I remember winning 641 bucks with my grandpa, <laughs> and he took me fishing. He was not much of a fisherman, uh, but he took me and he he bought a little boat that we could fish out of. He let me drive it and run the trolling motor from an early age. And it was only a 16 foot boat with the 90 horsepower. Um, but it was enough to get out on the water and, you know, spend time fishing. He was a truck driver. So he, he drove a lot behind the wheel and on the weekends when he had them off, you know, he would just take me fishing and we'd go hop in these little $80 tournaments all around Northern California. Mm. That's, that's pretty much how I got started. My uncle taught me a lot of the basics of fishing uh, how to tie knots, you know, how, how techniques, which techniques are, which all that kind of stuff. And, you know, of course I was just so in love with it that, uh, in school, you know, like a lot of us probably did you the same, like punching, you know, uh, three whole binders in my bass vision magazines and making them fit in my binder in school and acting like I'm studying, <laughs> you know, but actually looking through that's way before YouTube or anything else, you know, that was sure. my YouTube for school. So anyway, uh, just studied and read everything I could gotten as many tournaments as I could worked as many little jobs as I could just to make enough side money, you know, that I could always fish on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That was kind of my goal is always be able to fish Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I always tried to work hard Monday through Thursday, make enough money for the weekend. And hopefully if I won some in a tournament, uh, you know, that would get me through the next few weeks, but that's how I got started, man. I, I lived at home, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. I lived at home until I was 23 
and uh, just tried to save as much money as I could make fishing and then moved to Alabama in, uh, let's see, January 2010. So uh, 10, 11 years ago now, 11 years ago. Pretty Time crazy. flies, yeah. Time is insane how fast it goes. So moved here, uh, purposely signed up for the Northern Opens in 2013 after fishing the FLW Tour for a while. I purposely signed up for the Northern Opens because they were going uh, up, you know, Oneida and Erie. James River was in there too, but uh, I was more familiar with tidal water, less familiar with big bodies of water, smallmouth fishing, really never caught many smallmouth growing up at all. Um, so I wanted to get in Great Lakes tournaments and start, you know, trying to understand how those fish moved. I was comfortable doing it because it was light line and spinning like we do for spotted bass, um, but just not quite as deep in most places. And it's a lot more fun than spotted bass. I got I got to say. So uh, I did that in 2013, qualified for the elites, fished there for several years, and uh, then moved over to major league fishing a couple of years ago. So right, right. pretty much the gist of it, man. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. So, so Northern California, was it, there's no smallmouth or very little or? There's, there's very little. We have, um, you know, just off the top of my head, I could name like Lake Almanor, Lake Pardee, and Trinity Lake. Those are like the only places we really have smallmouth. And I might've caught uh, one or two out of Almanor in my life. And I don't know if I ever caught any at Pardee. So ah. uh, there was some in Folsom Lake too, where I grew up, but not very many in Berryessa, not very many. It wasn't something you would ever target. Uh-huh. Just like caught one. It was a nice bonus, you know. So where did you catch your, your first five pound smallmouth? Do you remember? Oh, dude. Um, I mean, it had to be up at Erie or something. Yeah. Sure. 2013 and that open in practice, it was really good. I remember, uh, that was, I guess gotta be, you know, maybe Champlain because mm-hmm. I did, I started fishing Champlain as a co I would say Champlain actually, I fished in 2009 as a co-angler at Champlain. I weighed almost 20 pounds of smallies with Pete. Clusen. Oh, wow. I was sure. co I'll never forget that dude. It was a, it was crazy. Uh, I had 19 pounds of smallies in one live well, and he had 19 pounds of largemouth in the other. It was pretty pretty cool that you could do that on a body of water. And yeah. uh, so anyway, yeah, that was probably the place where I caught my first five-pounder, I would say, is Champlain. Right. So, I mean, this is interesting to, to decide to fish the Northerns, what are we talking, five, six, seven years ago? That's it? And not having the experience – you know, with the big smallmouth waters and then all of a sudden, I mean, you're, you're kicking butt at the tour level as a pro on these bodies of water. Like how did you, your learning curve, talk to me about that because there's a lot of people that are maybe thinking about getting into bass fishing or, you know, looking a little bit deeper into smallmouth fishing. Like how did you go from that so quickly to be able to win these tournament against guys that have been doing it for all their lives? You know, I don't really know other than um, I just I, I remember first good smallmouth tournament I had as a pro was probably Erie. I think I finished like 25th in that Bass Open. I remember having 20 pounds the first day and I was like in 22nd place. And I was like, wow, this is this is cool. I was out there fishing around a bunch of guys off of Pelee Island. And I'm like, I 
you know, I remember thinking like, I don't really know how you separate yourself uh, from these guys. I was fishing around with everybody else and some of them had 22 pounds and some had 20, some had 17, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I would say that's probably when I really started to like love like drop shotting and, you know, focusing on summertime smallmouth like that. And I would say I, I probably started to learn the most in 2017 at the St. Lawrence River. I think we went 2016, 17, and 18. And in 2016, totally got my butt kicked. 2017, I, I was, you know, I was friends with, I'm still friends, good friends with uh, Brandon Bolinick too, you know, and I always picked his brain a little bit about smallmouth and we would talk during practice and I'd, you know, tell him the things that I found and stuff. But uh, I think in 2017, when I learned that just looking for rock, uh, you know, isn't the most important thing uh, for smallmouth, when I learned that they use grass and sand and uh, you know, veins of rock that are more isolated, things like that, uh, boulders. That's when I started to understand, really understand smallmouth fishing. So 2017 at St. Lawrence River, I was like in third place after day two. The wind blew a funny direction on day three against the current. And it really kind of screwed me up. That was a learning experience in itself. But the next year, uh, I finished second up there. And I had the fish to win. I had six dead fish, unfortunately, in that tournament. And it cost me, I only lost by six ounces. I know how to fizz them correctly back then. And I do now. Uh, right. made a huge difference, huge difference. I learned how to fizz them. And I was catching them really deep. But I looked for the same type of things really deep found the previous year up shallower. And I actually had hurt my wrist really bad. Uh, that summer, I, I tripped on Polinex dog of all things, <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't fish. Uh, and we were up north for an MLF event, uh, and I couldn't fish. But I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go idle around St. Lawrence River. And I went and idled around there for almost 30 hours uh, for about two and a half days. And I learned more. I never picked up a rod. I learned more spending my time idling around like that. Uh, and then marking all these spots and coming back a month later in practice and seeing what I caught fish on and what I didn't, uh, mm. that was the, that was really the biggest learning curve right there. It was like 17, 18. I really started to figure out how to separate yourself, you know, and, uh, get away from the crowd a little bit and try and find things. They're such a nomadic creature, you know, they can be literally anywhere. Uh, and you just got to keep a really open mind for them every day. You know, something that was good yesterday can be terrible the next day. For instance, in 2018, you know, I blasted them on these areas on day one, day two and three, never catch a fish off these spots and go back on day four. And it's loaded up like a whole new fresh mm. group of fish showed up, you know, and uh, they're just very nomadic. So you can't rely on them. You got to be willing to move and adapt and change uh, quickly. And they tell you, you know, if they're not there, dude, they're not there. Like, mm-hmm. I want I want the ones that when I throw my drop shot out and I click the bill over, it's heavy and they're taking off. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm not I'm not trying to trick them 
into biting. I want the active ones. And those, that's why I move a lot when my smallmouth fish, I actually don't, I try not to sit in one spot unless I really feel like I can. Uh, okay. I, I tend, I tend to move a lot and just try and catch. If I pull up on a spot, I'll catch a couple active fish. If they slow down for a second, whatever, I'm moving to the next spot and I'll come back there after I let it rest for a little while. So. Yeah. So, so, so taking the time to learn, learn the water, learn the different areas, the habitat that those fish live in. And I love your approach kind of running and gunning, looking for those active fish because smallmouth do love to eat when you get around them. Um, but you just keep moving and moving. I'm curious, to, you know, growing up and, you know, fishing for spotted bass and as far as techniques go, did you pretty much have the drop shot and all the finesse game pretty much down? It was, it was just a matter of finding how these these smallmouth relate in the Great Lakes is that would you say that's true? Absolutely, you know I dude I've won uh, I remember winning a tournament in seventy five to eighty five feet of water on spotted bass on a drop shot with a quarter ounce weight. Those mm-hmm. fish are so you can't just drop a half ounce weight and fly yeah. it right by them. Spots are way more picky than smallmouth. So uh, a quarter ounce weight, seventy five to eighty feet of water. We had like nine pounds that day. We signed up for two different tournaments and won them both. But, uh, you know, so I was very experienced in fishing light line, super deep. And smallmouth fishing was just like, man, you can actually, this is is like better. It's more fun because you can fish fast and kind of power fish for them. And you don't have to sit there and really finesse them into biting. Like, like you said, like they just, if they're there and they're feeding, they're going to bite. And Mm. if they're there and they're not feeding, you can't just make them bite. You know what I'm saying? They, mm-hmm. they just don't want to bite sometimes. And I'm not going to sit there and, and I've learned just not to waste time on those fish. When you're preparing for a new event or a new body of water with, with smallmouth, what are you doing before you even get there? Do you have some prep work that you do as far as understanding that fishery? Um, and then what is your game plan going in? Do you, do you prefer a deeper bite or a shallow bite or, you know, what's your favorite way to catch those fish? I would you know, say honestly, a bunch of questions I, in there. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I probably honestly suck at small, uh, shallow water, smallmouth fishing. Like I haven't done it very much. Most of the time when we're smallmouth fishing, it's summertime and I, I'm able to drop shot for them. So I don't know how these fish, uh, I can't, I don't know what they really do like pre-spawn or, uh, even after like August, you know, I've never really fished for them after August. Mm-hmm. So I just, I understand, uh, I understand the summer deal, but, uh, as far as preparation goes, probably not as much as you would think, you know, the only preparation, like I can really think of that really made a difference other than, you know, getting out on St. Lawrence river and idling around for so many hours, mm-hmm. uh, and never picking up a rod. But, uh, the, the one thing I did like at, at Sturgeon Bay is I, you know, I'm researching, looking at the internet and I found a study talking about, I knew we were there just after the spawn. I, I, you know, and at one point in practice on the first day I went up shallow and I see empty beds everywhere. Don't see a single fish cruising. So I'm like, okay, they're gone. Where's the first place they're going to go and where are the most fish in this body of water? Well, I read this, uh, I read this article by the Department of Fish and Game up there in Wisconsin that said that they estimated that 9,000 smallmouth bass spawn in Little Sturgeon Bay. So when you look at a map, 
or this is the what I did beforehand, you know, obviously I'm mm-hmm. looking at the map and I'm just like, okay, here's little Sturgeon Bay. It's like, you know, this big and big Sturgeon Bay is like, you know, three times the size of this little Sturgeon mm-hmm. Bay. There's 9,000 bass that spawn in that little one. How many are spawning in this big one? And that was a thing that just gave me a ton of confidence to spend my time in practice uh, right there in Sturgeon Bay. And so many people overlooked it because, you know, we were allowed to trailer for that event because of wind. So we could go anywhere around Door County, which was really cool. I thought that was an awesome thing. It spread everybody out great. And it also worked to my advantage. Everybody left the home field and, you know, I'm like, God, if these guys had read this same article I did about Department of Fish and Game, like you yeah. would think there's no way I'm leaving either Little Sturgeon Bay or this other bay. And, you know, those fish had just moved off of uh, off of bed. So I got out there in like 10 to 15 feet and just started to look for the first uh, pieces of isolated grass I could find out there. And around those clumps of grass, there's just, you know, certain clumps for whatever reason. I don't really know why. Uh, there's a lot of bait in the area too and everything, a lot of little perch and stuff, but uh, they were just, they were loaded up on certain clumps of grass, man. And it was just a magnet for them moving off of the bank. Wow. I mean, that as simple as that story that, that Justin just told us, I mean, it can be overlooked. Obviously it was by the field, but when you have a bunch of empty beds and they're gone, the first place you're going to look is at that new, I mean, it seems so obvious, but the fact that, previous years you you took note that it wasn't just about rock you mentioned it was about grass and sand and things like that and you found whatever was the next place that these fish should you know hang out after the spawn and um man that's uh that's a really interesting story so you fished obviously all over a lot of big waters for smallmouth i, I gotta ask what's your favorite i mean you had a sampling of of Sturgeon Bay, you, you've been on Erie to the St. Lawrence, Champlain. What's your favorite body of water to fish for smallmouth? It's it's got to be St. Lawrence River. I mean, that place is. I, I had ninety five pounds when I lost there. You know, almost touching the century mark on smallmouth, and went back out the next day and had like twenty five pounds at uh, twenty five and a half after the tournament. It was crazy, but the thing there is those fish will get from shallow all the way to 60 feet deep and so i really felt like i really felt like i was fishing pieces of rock and rock veins and these sandy breaks and stuff that were out in really deep water i feel like no one had ever fished them ever before you know what i'm saying and like literally that and that's why it's so special i'm not saying that about like my skills to find it i'm saying this this river is so massive with so many nooks and crannies all over it that when you're able to catch something off of, you know, something out in the middle of the river that has no contour lines next to it is just really special. You feel like no one's ever fished it before. And that's just, right. you know, that's a really cool feeling to me. I really like that. And, and honestly, another place I really like that we didn't hit at the best time for the same reason is Lake Oahe in South Dakota. Yeah, uh, yep. that was a super, super cool place, dude. And but I know you're a Winnebago guy. I actually enjoyed Winnebago. I caught I yeah. caught small mm-hmm. out there, and uh, I enjoyed Winnebago. It was, it was a sh- that was a shallower deal. Of course, I never caught one like deeper than eight feet over there. 
Um, but they were still related to the same types of things. You know, I was looking for uh, like sand and rock and stuff mixed together like that and was able to catch them out there. I, I don't know if they were spawning on these rocks and six to eight feet of water or what, but dude, I would throw a shaky head to these rocks and they, those fish were so aggressive at Winnebago. I'd click the bale over or the line would be falling, you know, and I click the bale over cause it's so shallow. I don't need to let line out Yeah, I make the cast click the bale over. I'm watching my line. And my line would just jump before the shaky head even hit the bottom. Those fish were mm. so aggressive. It was uh-huh. really cool. So, yeah. I mean, every place is cool. You know, St. Lawrence is cool for the fact that they're really big and and you can have these places that people have never fished. But, I mean, Winnebago is cool. You know what I'm saying? And sure. and, uh, and Oahe's cool. And I've been to Saginaw Bay. That's awesome. You know, I it, they're all really cool, really neat places. So do you, you know, living down South now, uh, do you get to, you get to mess with some of those Southern smallmouth? Yeah. So I, I do a little bit, but I'm not good at it. Uh, I caught my biggest smallmouth. I'm, I'm pretty sure ever didn't have a scale, uh, but on, on Wheeler Lake, I caught it on a jig just on the bank, you know, throwing it up there. I swear it was a seven pounder, uh, wish I had a scale, but, um, yeah, I, that's the biggest one I've caught, and I haven't caught that many other smallmouth, really, to be honest. We have some even here at Gunnersville, and I've targeted them, you know, gone up there and throw a jig and a crankbait, and I'll catch 14 to 17 pounds or something. But it just feels like largemouth fishing. It doesn't sure. – it's not the same, as, yeah. you know, getting up there on those big bodies of water like that. No, I agree. I always – I find it fascinating. Some of the, you know, the people from the south – uh, when they come up to the great lakes and they don't have that experience kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's really, a, it is a small mouth, but they act a lot differently, you know, based on the geography that they're, that they're accustomed to. What is your favorite technique for small mouth fishing? If you could pick one, um, what do you love catching them on? It's gotta be a drop shot, dude. With, uh, I've got some back here, you know, of course you gotta have it, but a Japanese color. You can't even get this one in the United States, but that's a cinnamon with blue fleck. Flatworm. Oh, yes. Yes. So when we blew up the flatworm this last summer, mm-hmm. uh, they actually, like they called Japan and was like, Hey, send us everything you have, uh, Berkeley wise, you know, from or of their flatworms. So they had some different colors, uh, but this one's really close to green pumpkin. It looks nice. Got a little blue flake in it, but if I could only have one bait, that on a drop shot, no doubt. I mean, this thing is, you know, I don't know. I don't know if people, if you are smallmouth fishing and haven't tried this, it is, you're, you're, you're not doing yourselves any, any favors there. You got to, mm-hmm. you got to throw on that thing. I don't know if you've thrown it at all, but it's max. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A- Absolutely. It is. Uh, there's something about it. It's got to be the scent because I mean, you know, years ago and I still to this day, uh, one of my go-to drop shot baits would be like a, a, a Berkeley gulp, uh, the smelt, the three yeah. inch, yeah. uh, you, just when they get real finicky or you, you know, they're there and you can't get a bite. It's gotta be, you know, it, it's gotta be that scent. It's gotta be the gulp. And then now we have this, this max scent. What do you think makes that so special? It's science, dude. It's the scent behind it. I, I don't really yeah. know why smallmouth are so attracted to scent, but a pair of pliers that stay right here at all times. And okay. it's, good. it's good, like, all year, of course, 
but I have to use those pliers more times than not when I'm drop shotting uh, for smallmouth because of how deep they eat this. And that was the first thing when I first tried max scent and they're like, what you think, you know, if, if you think it's worthy of bringing it out to the market, this is 2017 mm-hmm. before this stuff was, you know, even available. I, as soon as I started using it, I'm like, this is insane. How many, how often I have to get the pliers because they're like all the way in the back of the throat, you know, swallowing sure. this top every single time. And that was before the flatworm was even made. We actually just had the flat nose minnow back then. Okay. Got some of those over there. So we had the flat nose minnow, but I'm like, you guys, we got to do a drop shot bait. You know, we have to have to have a shape that uh, really, I just wanted, I, what I told him is like, I'm, we need a shape between a, uh, what's the shad shape worm Yamamoto and a, and a cross, uh, is it a cross tail, jackal cross tail? Sure. Yeah. I was like, yeah. we need, we need something that's a mix of both of those together because I like the body on a on a shad shape, but I don't like that real thin tail. Wanted a little bit, you know, more spade tail. So this is kind of like the best of, you know, those the two things combined. That's what we try to do. And I don't think it takes much on a drop shot bait. You know, you just got to get it close so that the act or the, you know, it's the right length. It's the right like uh, width and all these other things. But the main thing is the scent, no doubt. And dude, for me, I only use three colors. I know. I was going to ask you, what, what would be your preference? But yeah, I use black, smoke with purple and black flake and green pumpkin. That's all yeah. I use. That's all you need. And I, I would use this one too. It's like I said, it's close enough to green pumpkin. I don't think that little bit of blue flakes going to matter, but that's all I use, you know? And uh, again, I don't try and, I definitely don't try and overcomplicate things when I'm summertime smallmouth fishing. I, I try to keep it really simple, find as many spots as I can and just be able to be very efficient and rotate through those spots, you know, as fast as I can. If you watch uh, anybody that watched the last day at Sturgeon Bay, I was moving like every five minutes, you know, and uh, with, of course, with forward facing sonar now, which I used up there, you're really able to, you know, even move faster. Like you're able to, see if there's active fish there or not and you're able to even move quicker so that was even more beneficial no doubt so i, I gotta ask you obviously drop shine's a, a big technique but there's so many uh i mean i could literally talk for three hours about drop shotting and I, i'd love to get your your thoughts on as far as the, the setup that you use the most for those deep water smallmouth can you break us down as far as the rod the action as well as the line uh, love to know if you're straight floral or braid and also yeah. down to the the hook that you use. So all, all I use, I didn't tie one up for this, but I've, I've at least uh-huh. got it. I'm in, here in my shop, so this is good. But uh, all I use is um, the same rod. I'll have like, well, it's Sturgeon Bay. I had like seven of them tied up. But this mm-hmm. is a uh, Premier. It's an Abu Garcia rod right there. It's a seven-foot medium. So okay. I don't know if you see that or not, but that's all I use. I don't use a 610 medium light. My number one goal always, I'll never forget David Dudley telling me this a long time ago and hearing him talk about it, is my number one goal is to put the hook, uh, the barb past the fish's mouth. So I always try and use, you know, guys like they might use a medium light for drop shotting, but I want a medium. I want to make sure that when I first pull into that fish, that I'm running that bar past their mouth. 
and then I'm going to back the drag off and fight the fish after that. Uh, the yeah. most important thing is is getting that barb past their mouth. So uh, I that's all I use is that rod, seven foot medium. I actually only have two spinning rods I use. I use this and a seven foot medium, and then a seven foot medium heavy for shaky heads and stuff. And those are the only two spinning rods I use. It's the best sure. best thing I've ever ever held in my whole entire life. I'm, I could sleep with this rod tonight. I love this yeah. rod. <laughs> Sounds it's like though. So, what uh, size really? Yeah, it's a it's a thirty size or you know like a thirty five hundred and other reels, but Abu calls it a thirty. And what I like about this uh, thirty size over other sizes is it's it's lighter frame still, but it's a bigger spool on it. It's a wider mm -hmm. spool, so it picks up line really quickly. Uh, picks up thirty five inches per turn. So, and that's something key that people don't pay enough attention to. They just look at the gear ratio on a spinning reel. And some of these 2,500s only pick up like 28 inches per turn. And I'm sitting here picking up, you know, seven, eight more inches per turn. That's a huge difference to me at the end of the day. I like, I've had a tw uh, even a size 20 uh, picks up like, I think it's 30 or 31. And I can feel the difference how fast I get my drop shot back to the boat. And when you're talking about fish that are right under the boat, you see 2D and you're like, oh my gosh, there's one right there. And you burn your drop shot in as fast as you can. Dude, mm. think about it. You have a long cast out and every time you turn the reel, you're gaining seven inch. Like, you know what I'm yep. saying? Like yep. you could gain 70 to hundred inches, you know, in that cast just by doing the same exact amount of reeling. So I think sure. that's really beneficial, dude. The Very other good. thing, the other thing that I use that I love, 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 love is our braided line. This is um, six pound Berkeley X5 braid. So it's really, really thin. And people are like, man, six pound, that's too light. I got to use eight pound or I got to use 10 or whatever. But I'll fill you guys in on a little, little insider thing here. Uh, most Japanese companies, they call their line what it actually breaks at. And Berkeley and American companies tend to call their line, uh, you know, they like this is six pound, but it actually has like a 12 and a half pound break strength. Mm -hmm. So it's a really strong line. If this was in a Japanese line, they would probably call it 12 pound line. So a lot of people like uh, like 15 pound different Japanese lines that are 15 pound. And I like, you know, something that would be even less than that. It's like, this is, you know, what would be equivalent to 12 in my mind. Mm. I've never broken this line one time. Not on all those fish, big ones at the St. Lawrence River, not on any smallmouth I've ever hooked. The casting distance that I get with the thinner line uh, and the rate of fall, you know, how fast it's falling down and getting to the fish. Mm. Those are the most beneficial things of this, hands down. 100% uh, fluorocarbon. And mm -hmm. I do use a nose hook. I use a number two nose hook most of the time. If I'm in current, I if I'm in current, like heavy current, like St. Lawrence River, I actually don't like the nose hook and I like to thread the worm, right? Okay. There's some guys that now. That's the only time I like to thread the worm if, sure. if there's no, if there's a lot of current. Um, and then, a, you know, just a tungsten weight, and I'll use as light as a quarter or as heavy as a three quarter if I'm 
fishing mm-hmm. super super deep and it's windy and a lot of current so yeah uh, yep. you know you just want to use whatever matches that's exact scenario you're in uh sometimes right. i'll throw out two quarters tied on two three eighths and two half ounce so i'm prepared for whatever the wind and specific spot is doing that day yeah that's so, a i mean that's a great setup uh justin you uh, you obviously have it dialed in uh it's amazing that you know the the fact that just a few years ago uh you, you had zero experience out there now you can go up there and just dominate uh it's it's amazing that's why i'm, I'm so glad you're able to share some of this information with the viewers uh two final questions i gotta ask everybody on here you answered the first one i always ask what's your biggest smallmouth and you mentioned uh down on uh was it wheeler we had a seven seven pounder on a jig yeah uh, my, my official one is i caught it sturgeon bay practice it was like 673 or something and, it was a model yeah that's a beast yeah the, the, maybe, it the, was, maybe it wasn't that big it might have been six and a half i forget it was big it was my big <laughs> Yeah, right, right. I I think we know the answer to this next question, but I got to ask it. If I if you could use one bait the rest of your life for smallmouth, that's all you're getting. What I, I would eat this myself if that was what it took, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, this stuff is incredible. I just placed my order. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. Like, even so, for us, we're we don't just get unlimited. You know, we. Sure. We have to yep. get an allowance to use for the year and we have to spend it. You know, we, it's basically a big gift card that we have to go spend accordingly. But I think I ordered a hundred bags of five worms. So that should, I ended up giving everything away last year because um, after I had won Erie, I knew I wasn't smallmouth fishing the rest of the year. And I had a bunch of friends fishing the uh, MLF pro circuit and they were all going to Sturgeon Bay. So I was mm-hmm. just, handing these things out like candy to some of the guys and yeah. it was cool watching them catch them you know with it on tv so well as of right now it's very hard to uh to find those in the store so hopefully that does change for for Are people they still that, out? like is it still hard to get them yeah so i um i just grabbed a bunch of uh black was which i, I love that color especially yeah. in any other body and and that's all they had and i just grabbed everyone i could justin you're right it is it's the deal it's a it's an awesome bait Justin, great information. I really appreciate you uh, you coming on. How people follow you, and then what's the what's a big smallmouth event coming up that you really look forward to this year? Dude, we got uh, really cool. We have uh, we got St. Lawrence River twice, and where else? St. Clair, and I swear, oh, in Champlain. So we've got four this summer. Um, St. Lawrence River, our first one on the Bass Pro Tour, is going to be like third week of june so that should be pretty insane i don't think i'm going to be catching them out off the bank you know very far but it's going to be big weight fun tournament uh so Mm -hmm. i'm I'm looking forward to all of them honestly i just i love getting up there you guys you know it's it's god's country in the summer i don't know about the rest of the year but it's (laughs) amazing up there in the summer so yeah yeah and everybody you know you can find follow me on instagram or whatever you know facebook all that stuff i'm on all that so perfect perfect all that will be in the show notes uh again justin thanks for hanging out with us for this podcast we we certainly appreciate it all right thanks for having me awesome all right guys until next time we'll see you on the water
Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Small Mouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Small Mouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.